Welcome to the WSU Wheat Beat Podcast. I'm your host, Drew Lyon, and I want to thank you for joining me as we explore the world of small grains production and research at Washington State University. In each episode, I speak with researchers from WSU and the USDA ARS to provide you with insights into the latest research on wheat and barley production. If you enjoy the WSU Wheat Beat podcast, do us a favor and subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcasting app. And leave us a review while you're there so others can find the show too. My guest today is Dr. Karen Sanguine. Karen is an assistant professor of crop physiology. She joined WSU and the Department of Crop and Soil Sciences in May 2014 after a brief stint as an assistant professor at Iwate University in Japan. Her research program focuses on root development and root system architecture in temperate grasses with a focus on cold and drought tolerance. Her group also works on the basic molecular underpinnings of hormone signaling and crosstalk with a cell wall that drives growth. She teaches an undergraduate crop physiology course on how plants interact with the environment. Hello, Karen. Hi, Drew. So I was reading uh, an article that came out uh, May 23rd in the Spokesman Review uh, that talked about MAP20. For such a tiny little thing, it seemed to have a large effect on, on plants. So I wonder if you can tell us a little bit about what MAP20 is and why, why you're excited about it. Sure. So MAP20 is a protein, and MAP stands for not a map on your wall, but microtubule-associated protein number 20. This protein is involved, we know, with vascular differentiation in trees, but we didn't really know what it did in annual plants, and we didn't really know its mechanism of action. It's really interesting because it is a target our proposed target of an herbicide that's used to treat horsetails in orchards. Oh, so okay. Andre and I, shortly after both joining joining WSU, thought we would uh, talk about research ideas and MAP20 came up. And we both have worked on and are interested in cell walls and cellulose biosynthesis inhibitors. And this cellulose biosynthesis inhibitor called 26DCB um, is thought to act its mode of action is through MAP20. At least that was a thought. But no one had made uh, a loss of function mutant in MAP20 to see what it actually did. Um, so we were really interested in the interaction between the hormone and cellulose biosynthesis, or oh. the hormone, the protein, excuse me. Okay. And Andre being Dr. Andre Smirtenko, yes. who we'll have as a, our guest uh, next time on the Wheat Beat Podcast. Um, so can you describe for our listeners how you determine the function of a gene or a protein? Sure. So in order to prove that a given protein performs a certain function, you essentially have to break it and see what happens to the plant. And there are different ways of, of breaking it. It happens in nature um, via spontaneous mutation. This is why some plants are susceptible to certain pathogens and others are not, why some plants develop resistance to herbicides, which is probably something that you get to talk about and deal with a lot, Drew. Uh, so we took the approach of manipulating the, the expression of this particular gene that makes a functional protein in the lab. So you can think of a, a gene or DNA as the blueprint, and then 
you have the materials to build the building or the protein, and the materials are essentially the RNA molecule. And we designed a microRNA, so it's a little, small, short RNA sequence that binds to messenger RNA that makes the protein, and we use that tool to reduce the amount of messenger RNA and protein in the plants to see what MAP20 does. And we did that in my lab by making transgenic plants. Okay. Wow. That, that, uh, that sounds like a complicated uh, process and, and uh, one um, that some people may, may wonder about. How long does it take you to make a transgenic plant in the lab? So the process from generating the construct to transforming the plants takes about six months. But to get advanced populations, multiple independent lines, confirm the insertions, takes on the order of about two years. Okay. So you and Andre were busy working on this for quite a while. and um, Six years from six project, years. project initiation to, to essentially publication. So, okay. yeah. Wow. So... That really was a vision that you had to had to really stick with for a while to 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 come to some kind of conclusion on huh? yeah, it's definitely and has been kind of a labor of love we it It's what we call kind of a side project or something we were both really interested in that we didn't have specific funding for but wanted to explore together because we were just really interested and curious about the question, and it turned out to be a very interesting and unexpected result. So the, the paper that you published on this work uh, used a model plant, Brachypodium distachyon. Can you tell me about this plant and why you used it and why it's important? Sure. Brachypodium distachyon, the common name is purple false brome. And it's a close cousin of wheat and barley, but it's also a cousin of downy brome. Oh you've, you've talked about couple different weeds here that are Right. You had no idea I how didn't. interconnected <laughs> our research areas are. Uh, so um, Brachypodium distachyon was selected as a model for temperate C3 grasses or cold season grasses that grow uh, in this part of Washington. And it was selected as a model because it's got a very small non-repetitive genome and the plants are small and compact, have a short life cycle, so they're easy to grow, manipulate, and get uh, several generations. So it's easy for genetics, it's easy for plant transformation and functional analysis. Okay, and, and then you you hope that discoveries in this plant will translate to other right. plants? Right, so, the, so the, the growth pattern, the physiology and genome organization um, in grasses is pretty consistent. Grass genomes have, um, I'm getting really technical here, so sorry to the listener, but the way you can think about it is that the, the patterns of their genome are laid out. So if you think of beads on a string, which is what I use to, to symbolize um, uh, DNA and then the specific genes, those beads are organized in the same order in most grasses. Um, scientifically, we call that genome collinearity. So it means that the the order of genes is pretty much the same. So if you find a gene and you find out its function in one organism, you know exactly where that is in another organism. So if you find it in brachy, you can map genes um, in wheat. And brachypodium initially has been a really great model for trying to identify specific genes that confer disease resistance to um, viruses and, and other pathogens. 
Okay. So um, your colleague, uh, Dr. Smirtenko, will, will be on our next podcast. And we'll go a little more in depth on what you found, but can you give our, our listeners a little teaser on what he's going to talk about and what was so exciting about this MAP-20 Sure. Work? We were really interested in MAP-20 and how it was interacting with cellulose biosynthesis and the cell wall. What we didn't anticipate is that it was had a very specific role and localized to specialized structures in the xylem called pit membranes. And in our mutant plants, we see that the pit membrane size is altered. And as a result of this change in pit membrane size, the plants do not recover well from drought or water withholding. And, and there's not a lot known about – a few a few molecular characters have been uh, identified that are involved in pit growth and formation. Um, but this was really a new role for the MAP20 protein and one we didn't anticipate. Okay, very good. So our listeners who find that intriguing, as I did, can listen into our next podcast. So if people want to learn more about this, there's this Spokane Review article on May 23rd. Is there anywhere else they can go to learn a little bit more about this and your work? Do you have a website where you keep this? or? Um... Yeah, they can go to my website or Andre's website. We are in the process of publishing another article for uh, a Columbia Basin magazine, and we've recorded with uh, ra another radio journalist as well for okay. um, the, the PNW. Okay, so. and your website is? Uh, <laughs> Karen Sanguinet. So it's the Crop and Soil Sciences website, and my name, Karen Sanguinet, after that. Okay, so, so css.wsu.edu, and then look for your name. Yes. Okay, excellent. Thank you very much, Karen. Appreciate hear, learning more about this. I know I've when I read it, I thought it was that was very interesting. So appreciate you sharing some of that information with us today. Absolutely. Thanks for joining us and listening to the WSU Wheat Beat Podcast. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or your favorite podcasting app. If you have questions or topics you'd like to hear on future episodes, please email me at drew.lyon, that's L-Y-O-N, at wsu.edu. You can find us online at smallgrains.wsu.edu and on Facebook and Twitter at WSU Small Grains. The WSU Wheat Beat Podcast is a production of Connors Communications in the College of Agricultural, Human, and Natural Resource Sciences at Washington State University. I'm Drew Lyon. We'll see you next time.